okay? Anybody ready for the word today? All right. Well, we are in the middle of a series called Family Matters, and as you know, the last few weeks we've really just focused in on uh, the reality that because your family matters to you and because your family matters to God, then the family is going to be the single greatest target of the enemy. I've told you this throughout this series, but the enemy's primary objective, the enemy's primary responsibility is to make sure that there is always something to matter with your family. How many of you can testify to that? There's always something going on. There's always challenges. There's always conflict. There's always sickness. There's always turmoil. There's always this tension within your family. And, and I would like to address uh, the group that's in the room or maybe that's watching online that, that you're not a Christian or maybe, maybe you're not just a Christian, but, but you're an unbeliever. You don't even believe in God. You don't even believe in the Bible. You don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe in, in Satan. So this talk about you know, the enemy attacking our family and all of that doesn't line up with your belief system. But, but even for you, Christian or not Christian, I would, I, would, I would almost bet that the majority of us that have pain in our lives, that pain has been experienced either because something happened towards your family or because something happened from your family. Does that make sense? And I'm confident that so many of you, I mean, you're feeling exhausted. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling fatigued because of all the family matters that's going on in your household. It's one of the things about church. We all come here looking for hope, not hype, but hope. And we bring in with us all of the issues. All the, all, let's just be real, all the junk that we've been carrying around, we've been, we've been bringing in with us all the family matters, and then we've got to put a pretend smile on our face, shake somebody's hand, and act like we've got it all together, but at the end of the day, the enemy is seeking whom he may devour, and he's coming after our household. He's coming after our, our marriages and our children and our lives. And so I know that you're tired. I know that you're exhausted. And that, that's why we're doing this series because I, I've been praying and, and our, our team has been praying. Kimberly, my wife, has been praying that through these series of conversations, this can help you. That it, it can help you. That you can identify some of the stuff that you're dealing with and then really move forward with the beautiful plan that God has for you and your household. And so over the last few weeks, you've heard us talk about this family structure that that the Bible presents to us in the book of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, 14, if you believe that he's the author of Hebrews, Paul gives us kind of a reiteration of Jesus' teaching, and he writes in Ephesians chapter 5, you, you could flip there if you'd like to, but he writes in Ephesians chapter 5 about how the family should operate, how the family should function, like how, how the family should look. If you're, if you're raising your family, if you're leading your family according to Scripture, Paul says this, this is the way it ought to look like. He says, here, here's, I don't know what's going on with my, there it goes. He says, husbands, love your wives. And then, and then you might be saying, well, how much should I love my wife? And Paul would say, as much as Christ loved the church, so much so that he gave his life up for it. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, Submit to your husbands. And if you haven't been here as a part of this series, I want you to go back and listen online, download the podcast, all of that, because I don't want anybody to be offended by this. Remember, in the era in which Paul was writing, women had very little value. So what Jesus was doing, what Christianity was doing, was actually raising the value of women. 
And Paul was saying, wives, submit to your husbands because your husband should not just be the man of their house, but they should be the godly man of their house. And according to the Bible, the man should be the headship of his home. And he says, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Come on, parents, help me for a second right there. Obey your parents. And there, there is no, watch, there is no age limitation on this. There is no age limitation on obeying our parents or on honoring our parents. As a matter of fact, if you're a young adult or maybe a teenager, or you're a kid and you live at home and you don't like the rules that are in your house, I've been there. But I will tell you this, that all of the things that your parents put in place is not from a perspective of rejection. It's from a place of protection. They want to protect you from what they know is a real world. And help you avoid some of the same pitfalls that maybe they've encountered in their lifetimes. And then, and, then, and then Paul says, and hey, dads, stop irritating your kids all the time. Stop, stop exasperating your children. Stop, stop annoying your kids. And so this is what the Bible says that the family structure should look like. But the truth is, for many of us, and for whatever the reason is, we've chosen not to follow the teachings of Scripture. We've either tried to do family our own way, kind of make it up as we go, or, or we've relied on social media to teach us about the structure of the family or for culture or for society to teach us about what the family should look like. And, and, and let me just remind you, catching all of us up together, that when we decide to go a different way of leading our home than the way of the Bible, it creates for us a gap. Somebody say a gap. And this is what the gap looks like. The gap is we, we know where we should be headed, but then we also see the reality of where we are because that family structure that the Bible lays out for us is very idealistic. And for most of us, our families don't look like that. We, but we know in our heart, well, this is the way we should be going, but this is where we are. And I want you to see this with me in your mind's eye. Uh, if, if you look at where we are, it's kind of like we're flatlined. We're moving, but we're not moving upward. And what that does is it creates this gap. And in this gap, all kinds of family matters live. Tension and conflict, bitterness and hatred, hurt and pain, anger and frustration. Watch, inside the gap, you know what lives there? Poor communication, broken families, money problems, stress, substance abuse. Affairs, yelling, slamming doors. You know what lives here? Sleeping on the couch. Come on, help me out for a minute. All, all, that, all that lives in the gap. And every one of the challenges that I just mentioned to you, watch this. If they are not confronted, if any one of those challenges goes without being dealt with, the challenge will fester. And if not careful, you'll even start to water the tension and water the conflict and water the issue. And it'll grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And this gap will grow wider and wider and wider. And listen to me. That's why we're doing this series. Because I'm, I'm trying through the leading of the Holy Spirit to help you identify what, what is the stuff in your family. What, what's, the, what's the matter with your family? Come on. What's going on with your family so that you know, you know how to attack that problem. You know how to attack 
that issue so that, watch, and I love this. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when you recognize the problem, then you go to the answer. And the answer is Jesus. And Jesus can be the bridge... Come on, help me out. Jesus can be the bridge to reconcile your family, to restore the brokenness in your home. And then, and this is even better, not only does he bring restoration and reconciliation, but then he'll use your family as a testimony of his faithfulness. Come on, say amen right there. What am I saying? I'm saying this. Once you identify what's going on and you invite God into the gap, When you recognize what the issue is and you invite Jesus in the gap, he'll bring healing to your household. And then the outcome is he gets all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Come on, say amen right there. All right, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this thought down. This has been kind of the driving theme of our series. This is the driving thought of this whole conversation. And it's this. We may not be where we want to be, but we will not settle for less than what we should be. We will not be where we want to be, but we will not settle for less than what we should be. On the count of three, I want you to read this aloud with me. I want you to read it aloud, not because I need to hear you say it, but because you need to hear you say it. Some of you have settled into a season of complacency where you think, this is it. We'll never get any better than this. I'm telling you that, that your best days are in front of you if you choose Jesus to come into your house. Are you ready? Come on. I want you to read this really loud. You ready? One, two, three. We may not be where we want to be, but we will not settle for less than what we should be. A declaration over your house and over your home to understand we've got issues, we've got conflict, we are a little dysfunctional. Come on, somebody own that for a minute. Like you, you got that crazy cousin or that crazy aunt. You brought her to church today just hoping that God would touch her, you know. I mean, we all got our issues. We're not perfect, but at the end of the day, we are confident that our best days are in front of us, and we do not have to settle. We refuse to settle in our marriage. We refuse to settle with our children. We refuse to settle with our family's condition. We're going somewhere. Come on, somebody desperate to see your family move forward. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to identify the stuff in the gap, what's in the gap, so that we can confront it head on. And then we can, we can let Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, bridge that distance and bring us into right standing with him and use our family for significance for the kingdom of God. You're in your family on purpose and for purpose. And God, God wants to use it to do great things for his kingdom. So let me show you. We're going we're gonna to look at, at one more Uh, kind of conflict within that gap, and I I want you to see it. I want to show you what it is, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time together this morning, but many of us, wow, we, this is one of the biggest issues. Sometimes I go to my screen and pretend like I'm going to point so that you kind of get on the edge of your seat, and then I turn back on purpose, kind of make you wait, you know, plus it helps me with my dance moves. Look at that. You like that? You know, that's the white man dance, by the way, just one turn, and it's safe. This is a safe zone right here. You can't get out of control. Here's the issue. Look at that. This This is a big part of what's dividing the family. Some of you are like, I don't get it. Let me let me help you. You're too busy. You got all kinds of stuff pulling at you. We got the bills, we got dinners, we got to pick up the kids, we got to get milk. 
I got swim class. I got to do the laundry. And I'm just telling you all the stuff I do in my house, by the way. This is me, my list. Pick up after the kids, make the bed. It's a lot. And, and, and watch this. I feel like this being one of the primary issues of a family that is growing further and further apart is that they are just too busy. I want you to hear my heart for a second. I, I, I don't know if adding more time to your day is going to fix the problem either. I, I've often said, and I'm guilty of it, man, if, if, I just had, if I just had six more hours in a day, or, or if, I, if, if our day was 36 hours long or 48 hours long, you know, all the things that we could get done if we, if we just had, had more time. But, but I don't think that more time is going to bring a solution to your inability, inability to schedule wisely. I mean, if you can't steward the 24 hours that God has given you well, how do you think you're going to steward the 30 hours that God would give you well? And, and here's why. Because you and I know that culture, that, that society, what, that life just has a really weird way of suffocating all of our free time away from us. And I, I think when I look at this gap, man, I see parents and marriages and children that are so busy. He's going that way. She's going that way. They're going that way. And at the end of the day, this gap is getting wider and wider and wider because the schedule is so full that they're not making time for God and they're not making time for each other. I, I actually think that you'd be surprised. Well, may, maybe not some of you, but I think a lot of you would be surprised at the amount of marriages where the husband and wife don't even know each other. There, there's no communication. There's no intimacy. They don't even know each other. I think you'd be surprised at the amount of, amount of families that, that do not share a family meal together. Or they, they don't even sit down and eat fried chicken. That's the problem with the world. People need to eat more fried chicken. Come on, somebody. Sit down. And I'm going to talk about this later on. But turn the cell phone off. Turn the TV off. Close a laptop. And spend quality one-on-one -on -one time with each other. I, I think you'd be surprised, but there are a lot of parents that are working so hard that they're taking that, that extra job shift, they're working overtime hours, and they are missing out on monumental moments in their child's adolescent upbringing that they will never be able to replay or redo. And yet watch. We work 50, 55, 60, 65 hours a week. We got all of this stuff going on. We're going here, there, and everywhere. And then I love this on social media. We say, uh, my family's my number one priority. And you haven't had a meal with them all week. The only conversation you had was about 140 characters long. I love my family. I'm not questioning if you love your family. I'm just questioning where are they in your priority list. Because we make time for the things that we really care about. And all of this, let me summarize all of this. It all comes down to this hard truth. You and I have bad scheduling habits. And a lot of times when we look at that gap, the problem with that gap is not because someone in the family is uncommitted. The problem with the gap is that people in the family are overcommitted.
They're all doing so much. They're all going at, at a dangerous pace, at an unhealthy pace of living. And that's why I keep saying, it's no wonder you're exhausted. It's no wonder why you're having a hard time staying awake during my sermon. Because you're running 100 miles an hour. And watch this. And you're going nowhere. It's almost like you're a hamster on a wheel. You ever watch those things? I had a really bad experience as a kid with a gerbil. So I, they're not, I, they'll never be allowed in my household again. It's like flashbacks. You ever go to the pet store and watch them gerbils or a hamster on a wheel? They are running as fast as they can. And have you ever thought, where do they think they're going? And they're not moving, and yet that's the pace of our families. We are moving, 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 going, going, going. And yet when it's all said and done, we haven't taken one healthy step forward, not one healthy step of progress forward. I, I want to try to help you today. Is that okay? Everybody good? All right, come on. Let, let me show you. I want, I want you to see something. I want to show you something here. Because when we talk about this family structure, and you, you've seen that the last few weeks in this series. I showed you a moment ago on the TV. When, when we see Paul lay out this family structure in Ephesians chapter 5, right before he starts to talk about husbands loving your wives, wives submit to your husbands, children obey your parents, dads stop annoying your kids, Paul, Paul makes a statement. Well, he makes two statements, really. Actually, he makes three statements. I'm going to show you all three. And, and the statements that he makes, I believe, are what's missing in so many families. Paul, before he introduces this idea of a healthy, godly, biblical family structure, he makes our attention turn to the understanding that we need better wisdom and we need better time management. I'm not making, I can't make this up. Before he starts talking about the way the family should work, he says, now before we get there, let me let you in on a little secret. You need wisdom, and you need to make the most of your time. Let me show it to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. And then right after this, he starts to lay out that family structure. Here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as what? Wise, he says, I'm looking, I'm asking for you to be sensible, intelligent people. Not, not making the right choice, but making the wise choice. And then he goes on, he says, making the most of your, somebody shout time. Because the days are evil. Paul says, because you and I were born in sin, this culture, this world, this society is going to present to you and I a magnetic pull. And this pull will always be away from the things that you consider to be important. And the pull will be towards lesser important things of this world. And Paul says, you've got to use wisdom so that you can make the most of your time because the days are evil. And then, and then if that's not hard enough, he says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I love what Paul says. He says, listen, we live in evil days. And what the enemy would love more than anything else, watch, is to get you out of alignment. To get your attention and to get your focus on things that really do not matter. And he says, you've got to operate through the leading of the Holy Spirit in wisdom so that you can make the most of your time. So mom, dad, 
son, daughter, grandmother, grandfather, all of us know, and we can all testify, we got we to gotta fight against that pull. We got to fight against the things that are pulling us away from what we consider to be the most important things in our life. And the truth is this, and I apologize if this is offensive, but the truth is this. Our default stance of living is not wisdom. It is foolishness. It is in our nature to make foolish decisions. To waste our time on things that really don't matter. Let me rephrase this in a way that, that doesn't take the scripture out of context. But, but when I read it, this is kind of how I see it. Paul, Paul says, he says be, care, be careful how you live. Be careful how you plan. Be careful what you say yes to. Be careful what you say no to. Because the enemy is going to try to pull you to, towards the things that you don't need to be doing. So, so be, be careful and make the most of your time. Because the days are filled with evil. Don't, don't be foolish. Don't, don't get caught up in this trap. But be careful how you live. Because culture will drag us away from the things that we claim. Well, this is most important to my life. I want you to lean in real quick. If you want to change the dynamic of your family overnight, and I, I mean this. You want to change the trajectory of your family starting today? You want to know, like, hey, we got problems and we got to fix it. You want to know what to do right away? Learn to schedule better. Learn, learn to schedule your time better. Write this thought down. Here, here's the thought I want to give you. We've got to have the courage to say no to the good things so that we can say yes to the best things. Oh, come on. Give me a good amen right there. We got, we got to have the courage to say no to all the good things so that we can say yes to the best things. And I've got, I've got some good news for somebody. Jesus is the best thing. Your spouse is the best thing. Your children, your kids, they are the best thing. Come on, help me preach. But you and I, we keep filling up our day. We keep filling up our calendar. We keep filling up our to-do list with, watch this, with good things. And, and we claim it to be such. Well, everything I'm doing is good. And I can't argue that. But it's not the best. It's not the best. And here's the truth. Watch this. Too many of those good things can quickly become the enemy of the best things. And I, I'm doing good thing after good thing after good thing after good thing. And now you see that you've stripped away the opportunity to invest in the best things in your life. Let me break it down as, as honest and transparent as I can. Some of you just can't say no. You just can't say, well, let me rephrase that. You can't say no to the people outside of your family. But, but you're pretty good at saying no to your family. We, we, have a, we have a hard time telling everybody else no at the neglect of the people that we should be investing our whole selves into. So I'm sorry that I can't be there for you because I, I, I've overcommitted myself to this. You know, man, anytime that I ask somebody this question, it all, almost always comes back with the same response. I'll say, how you doing today? So busy. Oh, I'm so busy. Come on, you've said it, I've said it. Come on. 
How, how's it going? I am so tired. I'm so busy. Hey, how's the family? How's your wife? How are your children? Everyone is just really, really busy. Everybody's so busy. Sally's doing that, and Johnny's doing this, and Bobby's doing that, and Aunt so-and-so. We're just all so busy. I, I pray that the next time that somebody asks you how you're doing, that conviction rises up in your heart about what we just read in Ephesians. Be careful how you live your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. Let me tell you what Paul is really saying. He says, if, if you choose the good over the best, he says, not only is it unwise, not only is it foolish, but it is dangerous, and you do not know the will of the Lord for your family. That, that if you choose the good stuff over the best stuff, it's dangerous and you don't understand the Lord's perfect will. I've said this a few times throughout this conversation in this series, but, but the truth is it still remains. Normal isn't working. You, you know what normal is for marriages now? Divorce. It's divorce. You know, you know what normal is for children now? It's rebellion. You know how I know that? Because when you find out somebody's getting a divorce, you don't act surprised. You're like, yeah, I, saw, I, I knew that was coming. When you find out that somebody's child is away from the Lord, and they're, yeah, I knew that was coming. Normal is not working. It's not working in our families. It's not working in our homes. And you know what normal says about your schedule? Get overworked. Get overwhelmed. You, you, you've got to be stressed out. You have to be miserable. You've got to be busy. That's what society says is normal. And normal is not working. And normal didn't work some 2,000 years ago because Paul addressed this very thing too. In Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world. He, what is he saying? He says, look, don't, don't conform to that magnetic pool of culture. He says, you don't have to be like everybody else. It's obvious that it's not working for everybody else. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's what he says. He says, at some point, at some point, that if you want that gap to close, you're going to have to change the way you think. At some point, you're going to have to change your perspective. At some point, you're going to have to realize, I don't have to be like everybody else. I don't want to be like everybody else. Everybody else seems to be settling, and I don't want to settle. So, so watch this. It all starts right here. To say, okay, I don't want to be conformed to this world, so I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Two times, in these couple of verses that I've shared with you, Paul this is, just, this is just how I see it. Paul connects our inability to slow down, our inability to go against culture and against society in that pool, and our frustration with not knowing the will of God for our family or for our lives personally. And I just wonder, this is just me, I'm going to throw it out there, you chew on it, you pray through it, do whatever you want with it. But I hear all the time, I want, to know, I want to know God's plan for my life. I want to know why I exist. You talk about being in a family on purpose, for purpose. I want to know that purpose. 
And then slow down and listen because God is speaking. God, God is trying to tell you. No, nobody wants you to, what? You need to hear, somebody needs to hear this. Nobody wants you to be in the will of God any more than God himself. God is not off in the corner of heaven with your will in his hands holding on to it and be like, ha, ha, ha. No, God wants you to know what the will of, what the, will of the Father is and the point of your, your, your purpose here. Why God created you for such a time as this. But you've got so much stuff going that you haven't slowed down long enough. And guess what? Five minutes here and there isn't enough. To slow down and petition the Lord and say, okay, God, I want to know what the will of God is. And he says, all right, then, stop being conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everybody good? Come on, if you're good, give Jesus some praise. All right. I want to show you something, and uh, I'll apologize in advance if it seems really elementary and basic. That's just kind of how my brain works. But then I'll also tag on to that, that if it was so elementary and basic, then we, we should all be doing it. <laughs> but, but anyway, I want you to see this because I really believe that, I, this is just my heart, I really believe that what I'm going to show you can, can just revolutionize your family household. And not only that, but it can change, it can change generations beginning today. Because for some of you, the enemy has been after your family. It started long before you came on this earth. And this is going to be really simple, but I think if you did it, you, you, would, you would move to winning in your marriage, in your parenting, and with your family. Watch this. Write it down. Pray together. Play together. Stay together. Come on, give me an amen right there. Now, now, this is not some, like, you know, magical formula that if you do step one, step two, it equals step three. Even if you do this, there's still going to be ad adversity. There, there's still going to be conflict. There's still going to be dilemma. But, but I can tell you this, that the families that are praying together and playing together, they've got a, a, a better chance at staying together. And I can also tell you this, that the families that aren't staying together, they're not praying together and they're not playing together. Come on, think about the. Let's talk about praying together for a moment. I'm not, I'm not talking about, oh, help me, Jesus. I'm not talking about some weak, kind of anemic, inconsistent, Lord, we're in trouble, so I'm going to throw up a Hail Mary type of prayer. No, God, God we're in trouble, so, so I need some help here. So now, now, because our back is against the wall, we're going to pray. I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. And I'm not saying God doesn't hear that type of prayer, but I believe that God wants some faith-filled prayers, some power-filled prayers, some consistent prayers, some disciplined times of prayer with your family. Do you see that? James, James jumps in the conversation, and this is what he says about prayer. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. When's the last time you got your family together and you said, look, all this junk, it's my fault. I did this. I, I own the slice of the pie. It's my responsibility. Husbands, if you said, listen, all, all this is on, this particular disagreement is on me. I'm, I'm going to confess it. I'm going to own it. Kids, when's the last time you walked in and you're like, mom, dad, look. It's my fault. I messed up. 
And I, I can't shake it until I confess it. And then it says, confess your sins one to another and do what? And pray. And pray for one another so that you might be. Here's what I don't understand. Watch. We've got the instruction on how to receive healing. Emotional healing, physical healing, financial healing, marital healing, parental healing. And yet we refuse to do it. And then he goes on, he says, and then he says, watch this, the effective prayer of a righteous, and I think I can throw this word in there without taking scripture out of context, the effective prayer of a righteous family can accomplish much. That, that if we get on our hands and our knees and we cry out to Jesus from the depth of our soul for the healing of our family, if we take responsibility and ownership for some of the stuff that we've brought into the household, now we can accomplish much. Not, not a busy to-do list. This isn't the hamster on the wheel mentality. No, now it's we're making significant impact for the kingdom of God because we're confessing our wrong and we're praying for each other and there is healing happening in our household. Hey, let me say this too. When I talk about prayer, I'm talking more than just about the spiritual discipline of prayer. I think prayer encompasses all of the spiritual disciplines. Read your Bible together. Go to church together. Serve together. Watch this. Do spiritual things together. You've heard me say this. and It's like a broken record right now. But the enemy is after your family. And if you remember, we talked about how Paul lays out the structure in Ephesians 5. And then in Ephesians 6, what does he say? Now, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. Doesn't the Bible say that? Watch this. Because you are in a spiritual warfare, the only way to combat spiritual warfare is through spiritual warfare. Come on, I'm, tr I'm trying to help you out. Let, let, me, let me say it to you like this. Paul, he's writing some good stuff, isn't he? He says, for though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war in the flesh. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I want you to never underestimate the spiritual weapon of prayer. I want you to never underestimate the power of prayer. You grab your family by the hands. You dive into this book. You speak life over them. You rebuke the enemy. And I'm telling you, because of the authority that you have in the name of Jesus and the word of God, every stronghold shall be broken. In the name of Jesus. You and I, in our own power, can't demolish any strongholds. But through divine power that we tap into, through the spiritual discipline of prayer, my God, every stronghold will be broken. I, as a matter of fact, right now, I speak against generational curses in this room. 
You are not a product of your father or your father's father. You are a son of the Most High God. I speak against drug addiction. I speak against alcoholism. I speak against pornography. Come on, somebody help me preach. I speak against extramarital affairs. I speak life over you in the name of Jesus. And through prayer and petition, every stronghold will be broken. Come on and give Jesus praise. My God. Yes! We're in a war! But God has not left us unequipped! Oh, you take the Bible. You take the Bible. You hold fast to the Word of God. You can stay standing for just a moment. And I'll show you this every night. Not that we're some picture-perfect family, but we try to exemplify and live out what we're preaching. We, we got our issues. I got mine. But every night we get together as a family. Kimberly, myself, my 8-year-old son, my 3-year-old daughter. This won't be the first time you've heard me tell this, and it certainly won't be the last time. We get around my little girl's bed. We hold hands as a family. And we pray. Here's what we pray. Sometimes she'll let me pray. Most of the time she wants her brother to pray. So Lakeland, eight years old, I, I tell you what, one day I'll record it and post it on social media so you know I'm not making this up. Lakeland will pray. And he'll say this, Father, in your name, we call upon the angels of God to encamp our house. True story. We speak against, and he'll go down a list, sickness, illness, injury, disease, danger, death, anything evil and harmful. We pray that you would give us the boldness to live out the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then he'll say, everybody ready? Ready. And all together in unison we'll say, Lord, wash us clean and make us new. And let us be more like you. Come on in Jesus' name. You know why I tell you that story? I'm going to tell you why I tell you that story. Because for decade after decade, generation after generation, the enemy has tried to destroy the last name called Worley by alcoholism. And by the time that I was 19 years old, I was an alcoholic and addicted. But when I met Jesus... He delivered me and he set me free. And I'm careful, watch, I'm careful with how I tell my son about that testimony. But Lakeland knows this, that every stronghold is broken, that it ends with us, that generation after generation, because God hears our prayer, will not have to walk through the same challenge. No. Let me tell you about the Worley household. When you walk into our house, you walk into a home of peace. Yeah. Because for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, well, they're doing that because they're not teenagers yet. I rebuke that thought. Because my Bible says that if I train up a child, help me out. And when they grow old, they will not depart from the truth of God's word. Because the truth is what sets us free. My God. I got to hurry. I'm not, and I'm not just telling you to, to, to pray together, but I'm telling you to play together. Have some fun together. 
I don't, I don't want you to underestimate the power of prayer, but I also don't want you to underestimate the power of play. I know you think you need that money, but your kids, I'm telling you, your kids are not interested in how much money you make. They're interested in how much time you make. The richest families are not rich with wealth. They're rich with love. I'm going to tell you again, man, shut that phone off. Shut the phone off. James says it like this, life is but a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And your kids are getting older fast. Your grandkids are getting older quick. Now this world is not our home. We're just passing through. But while I'm here, I want to say yes to the best things. And Jesus is the best. Kimberly is the best. My children are the best. And I don't want to get it caught up in what the world says is better. No. Because at the end of the day, if every, everything else fails, I know that they're with me. I've got God and I've got them. All right, I got to be done. You're standing. Can, can we have a little fun together real quick before you go? It's just a little humor. Don't take offense to this. But there are negative effects of not spending quality playtime with your children. And here's one of them. You ready? Watch this. They grew up to be Tennessee football fans. Come on, somebody. Help me out real quick. <laughs> Some of you volunteer fans are like, oh, no, you, I liked you till now. I'm leaving this church. Have a little fun. At Go Church, they're, they're watching online that, that, that college football isn't king there. The NFL is king. So not spending quality playtime with your kids will end up raising Cowboys fans. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and th there's an old song. You know what the song says? Old country song. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be Cowboys. Come on. <laughs> Here you go. You ready? Pray together. Play together. Stay together. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that there would be a conviction sweeping over this room, that there would be a determination in our hearts to say yes to the best things, to learn to say no to all of the other stuff that just fills our calendars and keeps us on the go. I know so many families, they're on the go, but they're not in the know. They don't know what's going on with their sons or daughters or grandchildren or husbands or wives because they're moving and they're busy and they say, yeah, but it's all good and you're right, but it's not the best. Let me give you, as we pray, let me give you the greatest advice I can give you before we leave. You've heard a lot, you've laughed a lot, maybe even cried a lot, I don't know. But if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. In this season, Slow down. Slow down. Seize the moment. Seize the day. Tell your spouse you love them. Tell your kids you're proud of them. Tell your siblings you appreciate them, even if you don't always get along. And tell the enemy, I'm not settling. Your best days are not behind you. They're in front of you. Hey, the best story about your family has yet to be written. The chapter has not yet been written. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. 
stay faithful, stay committed, and be wise with what you say yes to so you can choose the best things and not just the good stuff.